in June, my doctors told me there wasn't really anything else they could do and that they thought I had six months max left and that I was dying. But I decided that was not going to be the case. Like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Books Closed. I, as always, am Andrew Stortz. Have you ever had to face your own mortality? I can probably say that I have not. I have been very lucky in health in my lifetime. But the conversation that, uh, that I had that I'll be sharing with you here with tattooer Hannah Sandstrom left me really thinking about my own life and those who are close to me. Hannah was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, which was an earth shattering diagnosis for her. Uh, it basically just uprooted all everything in her life. It kind of just put the brakes on her career and her interests and uh, probably many things that I'm not even perceptive of. So I didn't want to just talk to her and ask her, what's it like to think you're going to die? I think that she's got a lot of strength and positivity that's so admirable that it, it made it easy to talk to her about everything like that. So let me throw it to my conversation with Hannah. So, what do we want to talk about? Oh, God. I don't even know. What's, what's uh, new? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so, I got cancer. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting um, doing this because tattooing, having, and still is such a big part of my life for so long. You know, I'm going on 17 years. But then with you know, being hit with this situation that I'm in and uh, not having been able to tattoo for the past year and a half, which is easily the longest I've ever gone without tattooing. It's it's interesting doing this interview now because I have this right. kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it all from a different angle than I ever have before. You know, it's this like, not to say like looking back at because that sounds very dramatic I mean my intentions are to get better and to be able to start tattooing again but it's definitely um you, you definitely get a different perspective being removed from it you know yeah. involuntarily the way I have been so uh right yeah, so it's, well what's what's that perspective yeah. like that is a good question um I mean, it's it's difficult, first of all, because you realize once you're not tattooing that it's not just a job. Like when you're doing it every day, and you're like, oh, today I don't feel like going to work. And oh, here's this this guy is so annoying. I don't want to have to deal with this client today, whatever. You know, then it's just a job. But when you're not able to do it, you realize that that's total bullshit it's so much more than a job. You know, it's your whole life and it has been for so long. There's, you know, a reason I'm married to another tattooer because very few people understand what this life is like when you, when you take it that serious, you know? Um, so to then have that, you know, taken away from you and not be able to, to work, um, I miss it more than I ever thought I could, you know, or would. Yeah. 
um, that it's in not just, well, definitely the, the act of tattooing, you know, like the creative outlet, but just even like the little stuff of like, I'm always absorbing information that I then put into tattooing. And you don't realize that until you stop. That it's like, wait, what do I do with this now? For the past 17 years, I'm constantly, you know, finding inspiration in everything. And, uh, and then you, you don't have anywhere to, to take that anymore. And uh, it's, it's a very strange place to be in for sure. I bet. Do you feel yeah. like having returning to tattooing to look forward to, do you think that's something that helps you out through all this downtime? Absolutely. Um, I mean, see if I can talk about this without choking up, but <laughs> tattooing literally is saving my life right now. You know, like the support that I have received now, it's ironic that we're doing this now because we just did another fundraiser because of the difficulties we're having financially, because I can't work. Um, I always choke up talking about this, but um, seeing that family and again, seeing that it's more than just a job, you know, that it is a community that looks out for each other and it's incredibly humbling. You know, I'm like, who the hell am I to deserve this? kind of support and this kind of outpouring of support that um, that keeps me going. I mean, it's so cliche to say, but it's totally true. You know, it's like you realize that it's not just you, that you have this, you know, literally thousands of people who are in your corner and who want what's best for you. And you know, you definitely have some really bad days and, and uh, looking forward to tattooing is a huge part of this, for sure. You know, it's like, I'm lucky. I shouldn't say lucky because I worked really fucking hard to become a tattooer. But, um, but to have this kind of profession that um, I can choose to turn it on and off depending on, you know my ability at, you know, how, how well I'm feeling at any point, you know, I'm hoping to, to, uh, be able to start tattooing, even just, even if it's just like one client a week or something, you know, um, and to have that, to look forward to, I mean, that's, that's such a huge part of dealing with cancer is, and especially, you know, when it's a very aggressive and, far progressed, unfortunately, like mine is, it's literally like, do you choose to live? And having things that, that keeps you going, that keeps you hungry is everything. And I, in that regards, I feel very lucky to have chosen a profession that is so much more than just a job. That is something that I very much look forward to, you know, and that is so encouraging. At this point, I'm sure a lot of people listening have probably seen some post about you in the last <laughs> week or two, or even uh, in the original um, GoFundMe that you had done. So for yeah. those that maybe aren't familiar with your yeah. work or, or kind of your, uh, your tattoo journey, let's flash back a little yeah. bit and kind of go back to the beginning. I feel like it's, it's a, a cliche on yeah. podcasts to say, so like, let's talk about where it all started. But like, I think just for some groundwork and a foundation so people yeah, kind of know. Yeah, so. absolutely. 
So how, how'd you get your start in tattooing? Um, well, to really jump back, I'm originally from Sweden, born and raised. Um, and I moved to the States in the end of 99, um, beginning of 2000. Totally dating myself here, but... <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I've been drawing my whole life. Also, another cliche, so I've been drawing since I could hold a pen, blah, 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 whatever. But it's true. <laughs> my parents were art teachers when I was growing up, so it was very much uh, a part of my life. But how do you incorporate art into your life? Because I always said, I'm never going to be an artist because I thought artists were super pretentious. And my parents had artist friends that I was like, they don't, they don't seem like they have fun with art. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an old punk. <laughs> I grew up in the punk scene. So it was like, it, it kind of just fit me. So early on, I wanted to get tattooed. And I think for a while, I didn't really think about the fact that I could do it for a living. It was, you know, we're looking at the 90s and there were a handful of tattoo shops around, but it was a different world for sure when I started getting tattooed. Um, but then after I moved to the States, um, it took a little while before I could get tattooed here because I moved to Boston and it was illegal still um, at that time. So I was trying to figure out how I could get tattooed. And um, through a friend of mine, I was working at an art supply store. My friend, um, Ruben Kaiden, who is also a tattoo artist, in Boston, introduced me to Marcus Kuhn, um, who I was familiar with his work through, you know, we used to have tattoo magazines back then. <laughs> you know, the only way to get inspiration before the internet. And uh, so I started getting tattooed by Marcus. He was in, in Portland, Maine at the time. And I, I'd drive up and get tattooed by him. And I talked with my ex-husband about like how I wanted an apprenticeship, but how hard that was to come by. And I was doing my terrible, terrible drawings, you know, attempting to draw Tattoo Flash based off, again, magazines. Um, and he was, uh, my, my ex was, was very encouraging. And he was like, what if you could get an apprenticeship with Marcus? And I was like, that'll never happen. But, uh, he actually, he ended up announcing that he was looking for an apprentice back when people were doing that. And, <laughs> um, and by then I had been bugging him for a few years, sending him, you know, whatever flash I was attempting to do and whatever drawings I was attempting to do. I kept sending it to him to have him critique it. So I guess by the time I asked him about the apprenticeship, I'd already been, you know, showing him for a few years that this is something that I was very serious about. So, but it required me started. to... He just didn't realize it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or maybe he had, you know, yeah. he, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stories about Marcus out there and I'm going to let people, you know, have their own opinions about things, but he has always been very, very encouraging of me. And uh, I would call it doing time apprenticing with him um but it was good it was it was definitely hard he didn't go easy on me and that's 
what I wanted, you know. I didn't want someone to to treat me different because I was a girl, for example, to go easier on me. Like, again, being an old punk, like, I'm very comfortable in, like, the guys' club, you know. I've always been comfortable in that world, and I, I want to be treated as an equal with with whatever that entails, you know. That also means that I have to play by the exact same rules uh, as any of my male peers. So he he definitely never treated me differently because I, I was female and I always appreciated that very much. We always had a mutual respect as far as that's concerned. Um, and uh, yeah, so I ended up, he required me to move to, to Maine, which uh, I was like, well, fuck, like, my husband at the time, I was like, I can't ask him to leave Boston, but he was like, let's go, let's move. This is what you want to do. So we moved to Portland and uh, I figured I'd be there for, cause it was a four year commitment. It was two years apprenticing and then working for him for two years. And, you know, I was, this was in 2004, is that right? 2004. And, um, so I was 24 at the time, and uh, that was the biggest time commitment I'd ever made at that point. You know, I didn't finish high school. I didn't go to college. I never <laughs> made any commitments like that before, but this was also the first time that it was something I wanted to put that kind of commitment into, that this was, like, something that I really wanted and I'd wanted for a long time. Um, so... So yeah, so we moved to Portland uh, and I started July 1st, 2004 officially. Uh, was the beginning of my apprenticeship. So from there, how long, how yeah. long did you spend in Portland? Um, I Just ended up before? living, uh, no, I ended up staying longer. Um, let me see, I ended up living there for five and a half years. Um, I worked with Marcus for about, let me see, four and a half years. He was going through some of his own shit at that time. And uh, he wasn't, he didn't want to continue having a, a studio. He wanted to have a private studio. So um, early, would that have been early 2009? He closed what the shop was called Just Good Tattoos. Um, he closed the shop. So, me and um, one of my coworkers, um, Cindy Poppenfoos, who is uh, a very talented tattooer in Portland, Maine, she was an apprentice under him also. And uh, Billy, who you work with, Billy Roca, they were both. Um, apprenticing under him. Um, so when he closed studio, Billy moved back to New Hampshire um, and me and Cindy ended up opening our own shop. Because uh, at that time, there was really nowhere else where we wanted to work in Portland. So we said, well, let's relocate to our own space. At this point, you know, it was definitely sooner than I'd planned to open my own shop, but it was the right time. You know, sometimes decisions are made for us. Um, so we opened a studio called Squid and Whale. And uh, that was some of the best years of my life. 
working in that studio with her. We had a really amazing time and a lot of like huge support from the from the community in Portland too, because it wasn't like we were moving in from some other town and like, you know, invading their space, but we were already there. It was more just in a new studio. So um, it was it was cool to see their support. Uh, and um, yeah, we had a really good time. What was that like at first landing in San Francisco from a place like Portland, Maine? Uh, like drinking out of fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. It was, um, you know, Marcus always challenged me. Like we definitely had our ups and downs, but um, he definitely always challenged me, good and bad. And uh, so when I didn't have that challenge anymore, um, coming to San Francisco, that was definitely what I had been looking for. So um, Juan Puente is someone who has always been very supportive and someone I've always sought out for advice. When I needed it, I remember calling him and telling him like, hey dude, so I'm moving to San Francisco and he sighs and he goes, you too? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but his advice was, you know, pick the top five shops you could think of and don't settle for less, you know, like, and um, uh, I was way too intimidated to make, at that time, to make Blackheart one of those shops. But um, I went to talk with Holly Ellis at uh, Idle Hand. And um, I, I came there as a guest artist, because at that time I, you know, I wasn't telling them that, that I was probably planning on staying. I was like, oh, you know, I'm just coming out of San Francisco for a while and figuring out what to do next. And so we used to joke and say that I was guest artist in residence for six months or so um, <clears throat> until it, it just kind of got too crowded in the shop because there was never a permanent spot for me there. I just kind of weaseled my way in and didn't leave. (laughs) Um, And some of the other guys were starting to feel like it was too crowded. So um, uh, about six months into like the high of San Francisco, I hit hit a pretty hard low. Like Holly had to let me go because it was just too much complaining about this guest artist who was, and I'm also a very driven person and some of the people I was working with at the time were maybe not quite as driven. So then that there's, you know, the whole argument of like, oh, who's taken whose clients? And it's like, well, you know, you, you got to hustle. You know, if you want clients, you got to go talk to people. And so um, I ended up working with Clifton Carter for just a couple of months. He had a studio out on Geary called Lighthouse. And uh, it was very brief. I worked with Mark Cross, which we had definitely a really fun time working together. But um, during those months, one of the girls that was working at Idle Hand left. So Holly called me and asked if I wanted to come back and work there full time. So that was an easy yes. And I stayed at Idle Hand the whole time. I lived in San Francisco and it's definitely my home away from home still. Like I absolutely loved working there and 
they very much made, like became my family there and still are for sure. Even um, the people that complained that made your never ending guest brought in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was just, you know, tattooers are, are, are big babies, you know. We, we have the hardest and easiest job in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, so no, definitely. I think by the time I was there um, full time, it was a different situation. It yeah. was just more like having this guest artist that was like, just hanging around and it's like, well, how long is she going to be guesting here? <laughs> it was supposed to be like a week and now she's been here for six months. So I get it. I, I probably wouldn't have been super stoked on it too. Cause we were a lot of people working then. Uh, we must've been maybe like eight tattooers or something. So, um, and not everyone was fully booked yet. I mean, idle hand Holly has done an incredible job with that studio and has built up an incredible, you know, a really amazing name. Uh, and she has really, she's, um, you know, I've never had a better boss ever in my, in my life. Like Holly Ellis is, um, she's an amazing person. She's, she's a, a badass and definitely, definitely not a, a wimp. Like we very much have similar ideas like being females in this industry we have very similar ideas about that you know we don't want special treatment we don't want you know the handicap card you know we want to be treated as equals um on every level and that means it's up to us you know like how how thick is our skin because there's always going to be assholes, you know, there's always someone that's going to say something stupid. Well, how much power do I want to give them, you know, and how hard am I willing to work to, to be the best, you know? Do you feel like you've had to overcompensate through your career to like truly feel like you're being treated equal or, or have you felt pretty comfortable and been in supportive enough environments where you haven't had to, to feel like you're, you know, like going uphill the whole time? Yeah, I I think I'm I've been lucky because I definitely know not everyone has had my experience. Um I mean, I definitely know other female tattooers who have had really horrible experiences, so I definitely don't want to um downplay what is out there for a lot of individuals, but I've definitely been lucky in that regard. It's like again, Mark is definitely um, he set the tone for me and I already coming from, coming from the background that I have where I've always, you know, I, I don't have sisters. I only have brothers. So I'm very, again, very comfortable around dudes and the, the banter and the environment, like it's not just something that I've had to adapt to, but it's something that I'm already very comfortable with and not all women are. And I totally understand that. So that's something that was very natural and easy for me. So I could just pretty much be who I am more so than I have in other parts of my life where I've kind of had to downplay who I am, where, you know, I am a total tomboy and I'm a loud mouth and, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, 
so this was definitely a world that I was drawn to because I could be exactly that person and it it was to my advantage whereas you know in other worlds it, it may be too much <laughs> so to speak so um being you know I'm I'm hyper social I say I'm a social introvert because I actually don't socialize that much but when I do I am hyper social um uh, maybe it's the job that we have too that we're so social at work all day we're with our clients and our coworkers all day that when I'm done at work I'd rather just be at home I'm a total homebody you know yeah it's interesting to hear um to hear you explain how driven and how work focused that you have been for so long that it's hard to picture you not tattooing now for the last year (laughs) and a half and probably for the first time, just really focusing on, you know, the simpler things or the, you know, the things that we we take for granted. And, um, so what has that been like making that adjustment to, to really your main focus becomes just yourself and your health and and, and these, you know, the the things that you, you don't think about otherwise. It's been interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm a seeker by nature. I've, I've been fortunately going to therapy for years off and on prior. And ironically, that kind of laid this groundwork for dealing with this because it's not just a, a physical situation that you're in being sick, but it's a mind fuck. Like definitely, I mean, any level of cancer is a mind fuck. But, you know, by the time I was diagnosed, I'm stage four, which for those who don't know, because I've had people go, well, at least it's only stage four. And I'm like, actually, that's (laughs) four is four out of four. Um, It's the most advanced. Um, And uh, to do my little spiel, like I have ovarian cancer and unfortunately with ovarian cancer, there's no screening. There's no, you know, people have asked like, oh, didn't like no one picked it up on a pap smear or something. It, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't show up in that regards. And unfortunately it's almost always diagnosed in a late stage um, because the symptoms are so general. Um, so I wasn't just faced with cancer, but I'm, faced with late stage cancer with a very high probability of death. And I still am. So what do you do with that? You know, I'm not dead now. (laughs) Like my husband says, he goes, you're not dead and you're not dying. Like I'm still here now. So how do you cope with that? Which is one of the hardest thing. Well, one of, it's easily the hardest thing I've ever had to face ever. You know, I had no idea how hard this was going to be. And, um, you know, you have to face your own mortality. You have to literally think about, you know, where do I want to be buried? Um, What do I want my service to be like? You know, I have to write a will, you know, like these crazy things that I turned 40 in January last year. And... uh, things that you would never think that you would have to look at at 40 years old you know like um what do I want the people that I love and care about like what do I want to leave for them you know but then there's also this you basically learn 
to deal with things as if you only have a few months left because I have already faced that. In, in June, my doctors told me there wasn't really anything else they could do and that they thought I had six months max left um, and that I was dying. But I decided that was not going to be the case. Like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> so my husband and I started, like, I started pushing harder than I ever have and forcing myself. It's little things like, you know, at that point I was sleeping 20 to 22 hours a day because I was so fatigued and my body was just shutting down. Um, and I said, I can't keep going like this. So I'd even if it was just like getting up and walking around the living room table to just like force myself to build up my energy again. And it's like, I'm only dead if I decide that I'm dead. Like I have this theory that I call suicide by cancer that basically is the moment you decide that you're gonna die from cancer, you will. Like no joke, like there's nothing that doctors can do and they even tell you that like your attitude is everything and it's if I decide that I couldn't do it anymore I wouldn't be alive for much longer like I I would have been dead by now if I had taken their words to heart I wouldn't be here right now um but you have to decide like every day like do you want to keep going and that's insane to have to face that but there's no other option in my mind. I mean, the same tenacity that I have applied to everything else in my life, to tattooing, to... I've also been working as an illustrator since I was 17. Alongside with everything, um, I applied to this. So I guess not being able to tattoo, that same outlet is put into survival right now. You know, it's like... So every day I'd walk, well, let's take one more lap around the living room table. You know, like I had zero appetite, but it's like I can eat fucking one more bowl of yogurt or whatever the fuck. It would be whatever I could eat, you know. And all I could picture was like, if I do this, then I get a little bit stronger. Like I had a period about five, six years back when I was training a lot, like some people may remember this because <laughs> I was doing bodybuilding. I, I just, again, with everything, I just have to see if I can do it. And I'm not just going to go to the gym, but I'll like, no, I'm going to compete in a bodybuilding competition. And I did. And uh, I got a tiara. <laughs> but that same tenacity that I used in training, I can use now that I remember, like if I do one more rep or you know, one more drawing or one more, I, that's when I get better, you know? So I can use that same mentality now that it's like when you're that tired and you just want to give up, you're like, just do that one more thing that's going to help you feel better. Like I moved to this little house now here in Sweden that's in the country and I have a pretty big property and I'll just go out with the dogs if I can't do anything else, if I'm too tired. And I'm like, you know, walk one more lap around the house, like anything, just because I know that even if I feel like I'm too tired, 
it's going to pay off in the long run. And then I feel better the next day because I did, you know, I ate some more soup or whatever. And I, so um, I think tattooing is saving me in that way too. It's very much, it's like, it's a never ending growth potential. You know, it's like you never get good enough. You know, we, I think we all have a healthy dose of self hatred <laughs> that keeps us going. You know, the day you think you're hot shit is the day you should quit. You know, the, yeah. the day you think you, you know it all and you think you, you're good enough, that's the day you should quit tattooing, you know? Right. And, uh, and I think that's why I love it so much is the endless possibility for growth. And that's what I'm using now you know, to stay alive. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I feel like I've always been attracted to pursuing stuff that never ends like tattooing yeah. or music or stuff that you can do yeah. for a lifetime, but yeah. it, it's so hard to sustain <laughs> yeah. like on that path where you're, you will yeah. never complete it. Like you're never done. Yeah. That, that's what's great about it. And that's, what's so difficult, but I, I can see how you mm -hmm. can apply that now to, yeah. to using all your energies to be the, the best alive person ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I'm is good. I'm going to be so fucking alive. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually true because you do go through all the cliches of like the whole living in the moment thing becomes really, really true. You know, yeah. it's like, this could have been my last Christmas. This could have been my last New Year's. Like very high probability, which is fucked up but that means that I'm gonna make it the best fucking Christmas ever and then for all I know there might be 20 more Christmases and every one of them is gonna be the best Christmas ever because I'm living literally like it's my last it's like we all say that you all we all say like oh you know you gotta live in the moment which is fucking bullshit until it becomes real right you know so yeah, now I am trying to be the best at living ever, you know, um, because my time, the probability of me living for a long time isn't great. So I'm just going to get as much out of my life as I possibly, as much enjoyment and as much joy out of my life as I possibly can um, while I'm still, while I'm still here. And hopefully that turns into 20 years. Uh, but if it doesn't, I, I will have zero regrets. Do you feel like the more time that passes now, you get more comfortable looking at things that way? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, definitely. I mean, I realize sometimes I may have gotten too, not too comfortable for me, but I forget sometimes when I talk with other people that like I'm delving into some pretty heavy shit and I was talking with my older brother this summer and I started talking about like my dad and I are really close um we get along really really well and he's 77 so we're strangely in kind of a similar place you know I'm living as if I'm retired right now and I'm living in this situation where I could have a couple more months left, but I could also have 20 years left. And my dad is the same way. You know, he could have a few months left, but he could also have another 20 years. Um, we come from some pretty hardy stock in general. <laughs> so my grandma lived to be 96 and very well. 
So um, I was talking with my brother about how my dad and I had been talking about where we'd want to be buried. You know, we're not really sure yet. And we talk about this little cemetery near where I grew up. And like, and my brother started crying and he's like, man, this is so fucked up to talk about this. And I realized like, I may have to slow my roll a little with some of the people close to me because I'm constantly processing this. And like, I'm still talking with my therapist on a regular basis and we're, she actually has cancer also. She's in, in remission, but she's someone who 100% knows what I'm going through. I mean, she's beat a six months prognosis twice, so we can talk, like we're talking about like the shit. <laughs> so I, I'm processing things that, most never have to process and um you know until we're at the very end of our life I just happen to be there potentially a lot sooner than I had hoped (laughs) and so it's it's definitely something that I realize can be really difficult for the people close to me it's a conversation that I have to edit sometimes and maybe slow my roll a little because it's you know um yeah, it's, it's the big life questions become very close for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that it's so, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to put myself in that position, obviously. Sure. Um, and when I was thinking about having this conversation with you and what I wanted to talk about and, and things I wanted to ask it, I felt like a lot of the things I was most curious about have to do with you dying. And I didn't want to come into yeah. this and be like, let's talk about <laughs> how you're going to die. Cause it's like, that's not, that's not the point, yeah. but it's also, it's just such a crazy thing that, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't get to experience what you're experiencing yeah. until, you know, I don't know. It's, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It is. No, it's hard I, to, it's hard to think about it. And it's hard to, to think about your reality and and yeah. uh, like when you wake up in the morning, what you think compared to what I think, which is like where we sure. started this conversation. I'm thinking about that annoying client that I have next week or sure. whatever. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems so selfish to, to think about things that way. Yeah. And I mean, but it's not because it's totally life, you know, like I was there not, you know, a year and a half ago before all this happened, I was there too. You know, it was, uh, I was just about to go to, to Pagoda. Um, my husband and I were going to go do the convention, and I'd been feeling really shitty, and went in to get some, some to see a, a, this doctor and get some tests done. And let's just say I didn't go to Pagoda. <laughs> yeah. Things changed very quickly, but that's the whole point. Is like we're not supposed to deal with things to this degree until we're supposed to. You know, if all of us lived that way sooner, um, it would be a state of anxiety and stress that would be too much for most people to handle. You know, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain how difficult it is and how heavy it is. But at this point, you know, I am a year and a half into my, Diagnosis. I definitely had some time to to process and to find uh, even a, a an everyday life in this, 
you know. Um, but it's it's very surreal still, you know. Like there will be, never be a normal again. You know, the type of cancer I have, I will most likely never be cancer free, even if we can get it into remission. Um, I'll most likely always be doing some type of treatment um, to stay alive, you know. And like one thing I've been talking with French, with my therapist about is this state of fight or flight that you have to be in. But then you also have to learn to somehow tame because like my adrenals are fucked, for example. Like, and I realized like I was this fall, I was going through this complete adrenal fatigue that I was, I was just so exhausted and so burnt out and um, and then it's like, of course I am. I've been in this complete like survival mode for over a year that usually we only get in these little bursts when something happens and then it gets resolved and we can go back to chilling out again. That doesn't go away. So you're in this complete like just full on adrenaline like survival mode and that you have to that's why you have to come to terms with these things and you have to find this acceptance of literally living one day at a time you know like I have no idea what like when people the difficult things are when people are talking about like oh this summer or and I'm like I hopefully will still be here then but I might not be um but that also gives you this freedom where you can say, well, fuck it, I'm not going to worry about what I'm doing this summer. Like, I'm not, I'm, I have a tendency to plan too much. To, I'm very, very goal-oriented and goal-driven, and my goals have had to completely change. Like, completely, like, I still will set, like, a 10-year goal, and then I'll set a five-year goal and a three-year goal, but then it, it gets whittled down to literally like a week goal and then a month goal. And then it's like, I try to reach that week goal and then hopefully that month goal and then hopefully that three month goal and that six month goal because I can't no longer be like, well, in five years from now, I'm gonna be doing this or that because I don't know. I mean, I'm lucky if I'm alive in five years, you know, and I do feel if anybody's going to be alive in five years in my situation, it'll probably me out of just pure stubbornness <laughs> will keep <laughs> me alive. But, um, but there is that reality the, you know, people are like, oh, don't say that. And I'm like, well, it's just because it's uncomfortable to hear, but it's reality. You know, my, the statistics are what they are and hopefully I'll beat every statistic, but then at the same time, I might not. So I do have to make my goals a lot closer to home, you know, a lot simpler. And you do find a lot more enjoyment in those little things. Like that's the cliche that becomes super true. It's like, now I'm like, I mean, winter in Southern Sweden is pretty fucking miserable. <laughs> it's very gray. We don't really get snow. Well, I say really, we don't get any snow so far. Um, and we have very 
short days. So it's really dark. So I have to find things so that I don't panic. And I'm like, fuck, it's just like dark and dreary and miserable. And this, like the last few months of my life is going to be this, you know, like it's so easy to slip down these dark paths in your head and you just can't let yourself do that, you know? So it's like, okay, it's dark out, the light of fire. Like I was really adamant about finding a house with a fireplace, for example. Like I was incredibly intentional about my living space, for example, because that becomes more important than ever. You know, like, do I have a comfortable living room? Because I know how much time I spend at home. So it's like your space becomes more important than it ever has before you know, and like set it up so like I have a workroom that if if I feel strong enough or energetic enough, I can go and sit and draw and paint. And I don't have to make this big ordeal of like, because my energy is so depleted most times that things that didn't used to, like there's this thing called spoon theory. Have you heard of this? It's... <laughs> I'll, I'll have people Google spoon theory to get the longer version. I'm not going to waste time explaining, but basically it's um, this girl explained what it's like to live with a chronic illness to a friend of hers by, she had grabbed a bunch of spoons and she said like, tell me what, um, tell, she asked her friend, she said, tell me what, what's your morning like? And she's like, well, you know, I get ready and I go to work. And she goes, no, 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 slow down. Like, what do you do? And she's like, well, I get up and I take a shower. And she goes, okay, that's one spoon. And she's like, you know, your spoon represents your energy for the day. And, uh, and then she's like, okay, I get dressed. And she's like, that's another spoon. She's like, you know, and I get ready for work and I go to work. And it's like, by the time she had gone to work, she had already used half the spoons. And it's like, then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, do I go out to eat, you know, but then I have to drive myself home after, which would be another spoon. Uh, or do I go home? So I'm already at home, but then I have to cook dinner. So that's like, where do you spend your energy? Like you have to think about it in a way that I never had to think about before. Like I'm a super high energy person usually. So it's like I have endless energy. So now having to you know, I use the spoon theory of like really being mindful about where I put my energy. So it's things like having set up areas already where I can do the things that I really want to do so I can spend that little energy I have on exactly what I want to do and not waste it on like even things that seem insignificant, but like bringing out all my painting stuff and finding like, where did I put those brushes and where's that pad and where's that one piece I want to work on? Instead, I just have it sitting there so that I can just go sit down and put all the energy I wanted to use and not use half of it getting ready. You know, because that was something I never had to um, consider before, you know? And I... Uh, that's a huge one now, for sure. Like managing energy so that I can uh, still keep creating. Because that's, oh, <laughs> hang on. I'm just going to cut in here with a little editor's note. 
Hana's dog, Kiku, who was sitting on her lap, just jumped off and ripped the earphones out of her ears because she had uh, her mother visiting. So that's what that was, and it was kind of funny. So if you wanted to see that, you can check that out on YouTube. But anyway, back to the show. <laughs> Whatever. That, that was some excited dogs. Uh, my mom's here to help me with some stuff. Speaking of... Uh, learning to ask for help too yeah it's a big one when litigating your energy and your abilities is is i'm someone who's always done everything myself like i've always taken care of myself i've always uh i'm definitely too proud to ask for help it's why these um fundraisers for example were extremely difficult the, the first one my my husband did because he knew i was never gonna do it i'm definitely way too proud like i i earn my own money you know i i but then there's there's um there definitely comes a time when we need to swallow that pride and accept help because people want to help you know so it's like you you want to help the people around you, then let them help you. And that's been a huge, a huge lesson in all of this too, for sure. Yeah. Um, I bet. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. tough. It's tough to uh to let your let your tough walls down. Oh especially, yeah. Especially after you're pumping iron, you're doing tasks. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going here, doing you're going tats. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's been, it still is a very humbling experience. I mean, for, for someone being the kind of person I am, um, that's been really good for me. It's like maybe slowing my roll a bit and like learning to chill out and not always having to be running. You know, I'm always like next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. Yeah. And it's like, you do miss a lot. You know, I've done a lot. You know, I, I left my home country at 19 and, you know, I moved across the world and moved all around the U.S. And, um, you know, which is awesome. And I'm really glad, but I sacrificed a lot. You know, I've sacrificed being with my close to my family for the past 20 years, you know, which is why I'm here. Um, and so in that regards, this is um, an incredibly important lesson. It's like, you know, being at the front of everything all the time is not always maybe the most important. You know, it's like slowing down and appreciating what you have worked so hard for. It's like that that's the downside, I guess, to what we were talking about earlier, you know, these things that can that you can continue to grow and learn from forever um, is that it can also never end so you never you can definitely miss out on appreciating the hard work you put in because it's always like but I'm not here yet you know because it's a moving goal you know it's a moving target at all times you know it's like probably why I got into weightlifting for a while because that's the same thing it's like no matter how strong you get or 
how buff you get. You know, your goal has already, by the time you get to where you want it to be, your goal has already moved. So where, you know, where you want it to be is here now, you know, so, um, but you definitely can end up not appreciating that. So that, that's changed a lot for me. It's like, now I can stop and go, well, this is awesome. Like, I'm really enjoying this. Like, I have an ability now to stop and just be like this. I mean, again, it's that cliche, but like this moment is really awesome right now. Like, you know, I moved back to be close to my family and, you know, I'll be at my younger brother's house with my nieces and they're just like climbing and all, all over me and like screaming and being there. They're four and seven. So they're wild wild <laughs> and that's exactly where I wanted to be and the old me may have been like god damn it like this is getting really exhausting and loud and but now it's just like there's no annoyance there's no frustration there's no impatience it's just like this is exactly what I want and here it is and this is so it's like you get these mental snapshots all the time that I would, wouldn't have paid attention to before, for sure. Is there, is there anything else, anything else you want to touch on or any messages you want to impart on the people? Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to talk about today either. I guess I figured it would be a conversation that yeah. things would just kind of come up and, um, no, I think, I mean, the main thing has been, has definitely, uh, I think has come through. It's like, as tattooers, if we can take that time to slow down, maybe. Unfortunately, I had to take something like cancer for me to slow down, but uh, it's made me a lot happier also in all this fucked up, shit that I'm going through I'm also able to be happier in those moments than I have before um so I I wish that on all of us for sure and then the other thing is just thank you to everybody like that's a huge one it's my opportunity to officially because I haven't been able to thank everyone personally because the response has been so overwhelming um so I'm taking this opportunity to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I wouldn't be able to do this without you guys. Wasn't gonna fucking cry, <laughs> but there you go. It's, I'm so grateful for tattooing and I'm so grateful for this community for having my back when I really need it. That's, yeah, I think that's my, my main message. It's been absolutely overwhelming and I'm so grateful. Definitely. So thank you for allowing me this platform. Thanks for using a couple of your spoons on me this morning. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. One last huge thank you to Hannah for being on the show this week. In the show notes, I will link to her Instagram so you can check out her body of work on there. 
And I hope you can all join me in sending her all of the good vibes. Um, So that'll do it. But wait, before we go, after that digital trip to Sweden, talking to Hannah just now, I I feel like, uh, I feel like something's coming up. När nålen med bläcket prickar, solen och fåglar nickar. Ugh. You know, that's what they say. <laughs> As always, I'm Andrew Stortz. You can follow me on Instagram at Andrew Stortz. And if you like this show, please hop on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a glowing review. It really helps other people find the show who may not have heard it yet. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can also subscribe to my channel. You can smash like. You can do all the things that all internet creators are always begging you to do, but actually do it this time because it goes a long way. Because let's be honest, you're not fucking paying me to make this show, okay? It's all for free. And I'm glad that I can do that for you. All it costs is smash that like button, okay? Capiche? Anyway, I'll be back very soon with another episode, another guest, and another conversation. Ta-ta.